Eitan Shishkov doesn't need a ton of introduction, and um, but I, I felt uh, nudged, I believe it was from the boss above, uh, to, to say a word or two. Um, he and I were talking last night, and uh, you know, what's really precious is that in a rootless society, um, you know, where people travel from place to place and they live here a little while, then they schlep over someplace else. Uh, they're rarely uh, the kind of connections that people used to have. But I believe that this is still part of Abba Father's heart um, for us to, ha to be connected in a community of believers that spans the country and spans, in fact, spans the world uh, and spans generations. And um, our connection, Eitan and mine, is multi-generational uh, because my father was instrumental um, in Eitan coming into Messianic Jewish ministry um, as Joy is fond of saying, you don't say no to Eliezer. Actually, it wasn't my father that it was a heavenly father. In any event, um, then Eitan became uh, very much, Eitan and I became very much connected. Um, and um, when I felt led to rededicate my life to the Lord, to serve him, in full-time ministry, um, Eitan prayed over me. And he has been there on a number of very significant occasions when I needed some godly counsel. And um, I turned to Eitan, and the godly counsel um, has always saved my kosher bacon So he has been a wonderful model um, and, and a uh, good counselor in the Messianic ministry. It's been delightful uh, to see God's grace and favor poured out on Eitan and uh, those that work with him. It's sort of like the Lord took a bunch of pixie dust and just kind of sprayed it over Eitan and uh, poof! All kinds of wonderful things have been happening over, over the past 20 years. And uh, we at Yeshua Tzion are very much blessed uh, to be part of the Ohalei Rachamim network of support. And so without all that, any further ado, please come, Eitan. Well, um, we're definitely of one heart because Chaim began exactly where I was planning to begin uh, in, uh, in communicating and sharing uh, life with you today, which is why I came. Uh, if the message has some value, that'll be a bonus, and I'm getting it out here. Um, it really is true that... Um, the Lord's design is for long-term relationships. 
So uh, when we have the benefit of, of, of a few years uh, under our belt and we can see that God has maintained consistent uh, connections and those connections deepen and become richer, uh, then I think that we're, you know, we're on the path that he intends for us. There's a, there's a restoration that's happening in that regard. And uh, as Chaim said, a lot of uh, modern society is fractured and fragmented and, and people get isolated and separated. Um, it's even happening in Israel. It, Israel is much less uh, mobile in that sense than, uh, than North America uh, it's already a pretty close-knit country, and and the uh, the kinds of uh, threats and attacks that Chaim mentioned earlier have a way of drawing us together. Even though our society is very uh, uh, very stretched in in different places, all the way from extreme extreme secular to extreme extreme religious. Um, but all of that to say that I can't come without expressing a lot of love and gratitude. Uh, toward you for the the friendship, the prayers, the gifts that just um, continue to express the the covenant bond that God has given us and that's that's really uh, so much a part of god's identity isn't it he's a he's a covenant making God and uh, he's given us that through uh, Chaim and joy but uh, there are also other people uh, here who have really enriched our lives. Uh, Roe and Laurel Steiner and Larry and Lori Russell and uh, Lee Cooperman would be just uh, the ones that immediately I relate to and, and see. And a lot of your faces are familiar from the years of coming here. And thank you for your faithfulness. Um, my understanding is that we're in this together. You know, it's not like somebody comes and tells you all the, the cool stuff or all the hard stuff, you know, that they're doing and that, uh, you know, you just watch and listen and, you know, are either impressed or not impressed. Um, but this whole concept of uh, the restoration of the Jewish people to faith in the Messiah and the role, uh, the amazing role of the Gentiles, which I, I wrote about in this book, uh, which is by no means uh, a thorough treatment, but uh, some thoughts from my heart called, What About Us?, the End Time Calling of Gentiles in Israel's Revival. So uh, this book is available out there. I understand that you've had copies. You can even order more copies if that's needed. And uh, the proceeds just go into printing more books and, uh, and paying for translations, which I'm humbled to realize that there are already four translations printed, three more under underway, and, um, and others that are requesting. So that's pretty special. I'm juggling some things up here because I, I kind of want to share, uh, you know, family um, updates and things that are happening before I launch uh, into the message for for the day. Uh, some of you have seen this and some already have it. Uh, this is a, a very special calendar that features the artwork of my wife, Connie. And uh, after 40 years of basically putting art on the shelf uh, in order to raise her family, including me and give me uh, a running start at life, uh, she picked up a paintbrush again and began painting. And uh, so uh, these are original paintings all by her. There are uh, 12, one for each month, plus the cover, which is of uh, the Kineret, the Sea of Galilee. 
And uh, so this is called Glimpses of the Land and People, and I'm extremely proud of it. Um, it's a great gift that's, uh, that's out there for sale at, at quite a much lower rate than you would pay by um, uh, online, uh, by website. And I was pulled off by our dear friend and one of the leaders in our network, um, Eric Morey. Some of you know him. And then another example of Connie's art. Some of these are in the calendar. Uh, most of them actually aren't. And uh, these are greeting cards, uh, also a really nice gift. And I've, I've put the price way down just so that uh, you guys can be blessed by those. The last thing that I want to say uh, with regard to announcings is that every 18 months, uh, we do a, a conference and tour. It's really more tour than conference, and it's not really a tour in the sense of turning you over to tour guides. It's a kind of tour where we travel with the people who've come from as many as 15 different nations. So it's also a really wonderful cross-fertilization of people who love Israel, who are growing to understand God's plan for Israel and, and uh, how that relates to believers around the world. And um, this is a, it's a, it's a very special opportunity. We don't charge a lot of money. We try to strip it down because we're not trying to, you know, glean money off of the people that come, but rather build relationship. It's called Baruch Haba. And uh, in keeping with Yeshua's statement about uh, what he needs to hear before he returns. So that's part of the spirit of it. And uh, it's very, could I say, homey, mishpachti. Um, it's, it's really, um, the feeling is family. We visit both biblical, historical, and uh, also current messianic sites. So we, we travel around, meet the different congregations that are part of our network, and also our sister network, uh, Revive Israel, uh, out of Jerusalem with uh, Asher Intrader. Some of you know him and know of him. And uh, he's now overseeing also a congregation in Tel Aviv. So there, uh, there's a very special representation of the body of Messiah in Israel. And it's April 28th to May 7th. So you have plenty of time to register. Uh, there are more of these out on the table also. Um, pray about it. And... Uh, that's a good note. Let's pray. Avinu Shabbat our Father in heaven, uh, these moments that we have together are really valuable. You have gone to some trouble to bring us together. Uh, you have linked us um, in such an organic and such a long-lasting way, such a, a life-transforming way uh, through the Urbach family uh, connecting and, and sowing into the Shishkov family. And Lord, all the other families that are represented here are no less precious in your sight because you're no respecter of persons. Everyone here is important to you. Everyone here has a calling, a destiny, uh, a shape, a, um, a way of being, Lord, that's important to you. That's part of your, um, part of your amazing body. Um, and so, Father, we ask you to instruct us to... Uh, if we need a little bit of pinching, Lord, <laughs> give us a pinch. And uh, uh, Lord, we just ask for a, a live atmosphere for us to hear you. And um, thank you, God, that you use such um, imperfect vessels as myself. Lord, we look to you. B'Shem Yeshua. And all the people said? Amen. Amen. All right. 
I'm not sure why, but um, in seeking the Lord for this message, I had the sense uh, that it was going to be relevant and timely and even valuable for Yeshua Tzion. And I've been here a number of times. You've probably not heard me say that. Sounds like a lot of chutzpah, but um, I felt like the Lord authorized me to to share that. And, um, you know, there's some reasons why. One of the reasons is that I faithfully read the updates that come about your congregation and about my beloved Urbachim. So um, I'm kind of up on where things are, and standing here, I feel like prayers that I've prayed, and, and at times I, I think that I had a prophetic sense. I don't want to you know, claim that out of season uh, of, of what God wanted to do. Uh, through and in this congregation. So you guys are full, you know. Every seat doesn't have to be full to be full. Um, a very common statistic in examining congregational growth is that when you get to 80% of your capacity, you're not going to go beyond that, uh, you know, because if people walk in and there's nowhere to sit, they say, oh, well, you know, they don't need me. There's no, you know, there's no real uh, availability here. So um, I see 80% capacity, and that is really a special thing. So uh, uh, I'm grateful and excited. And uh, that's part of why I want to give a message that I will call At the Crossroads as Spiritual Pioneers. At the Crossroads as Spiritual Pioneers. That's where I sense that you are as a congregation. Those of you who are visiting, um, it might not relate in terms of the congregation that you're part of, but I believe it relates to our generation, certainly relates to the Messianic Jewish movement. Um, In my not extensive research on uh, the town of Denver, uh, I discovered that uh, you were incorporated in the year 1858. And uh, in relationship to the video that we saw, that's not very long ago, is it? Um, The town obviously grew through... um, the gold rush and, uh, and silver mining and, and became quite a, a frontier center. And that concept of, of pioneering really is in the atmosphere here. Uh, I'll tell you what always knocks me out on the way to worshiping with you. And if you change locations to another address, that's okay. Uh, just the view that I see is not enough reason to stay here. Um, but as you're driving on, on the road toward this location, the view, the, I don't know, every Shabbat morning that I'm here, Chaim, it's absolutely, it's like the Lord just says, here, Shishkov, I just want to knock you off your keister. Here is, here is, here's my, here's my handiwork, you know, and so you've got these snow-capped mountains. Oh my gosh, it's just, it's so wonderful. And, um, so, so the, the city with uh, water availability and stagecoaches and all the rest of it, uh, uh, the people who came and made Denver what it is today, which is really quite a, a cosmopolitan international city, were pioneers, weren't they? But you are also pioneers. And I have been commissioned uh, by the high commissioner to tell you today is this for me? Oh, thank you. I love drinking water, especially when my mouth gets dry. That is a great act of mercy. You're pioneers. 
And I think it's wonderful how organized things are. And every time I come, they're a little bit more organized. And the blessings and, and uh, the Torah reading and the beautiful worship and everything. And my lovely Joy and the way that she is now so regal. Uh, it, just, it just keeps getting better and better. I'm dangerous when I get up here because I really, I start free associating. I mean, you can, you know, Lee can tell you it's, uh, it's very dangerous. It gets more dangerous as I get older because I care less, you know, really exactly how it comes across, but I'm really concerned about it being alive and spontaneous. And sometimes I get in very big trouble and then I can't back up. But anyway, um, you're pioneers. No matter how sophisticated, how together, how well uh, graphically designed and printed and, and media operative you are. You are pioneers. Do you know that this movement, of course it started in the first century, I know that. But really the modern Messianic Jewish movement only started in the 1970s when God allowed us uh, to come into contact with Eliezer and Sarah who really were instrumental in helping us understand what does it mean to be Jewish and to follow Jesus, Yeshua, as, as Jews and not lose uh, the rest of the body of believers and not go off into some weird, strange uh, strain uh, or manifestation. Uh, it was only in the, the early to mid-1970s, I guess 72, 73, somewhere like that, that the, that the term Messianic Jewish or Messianic Judaism came into common use. Now, if you go from 74 to 2014, how many years is that? Arba'im. It's just 40 years. And that's sometimes a figure. I know that there are various uh, mathematical calculations, but that's sometimes a figure that's used for a generation, right? We talk about the generation that that went through the wilderness 40 years and so forth. So basically, we're one generation into this. But one generation is not enough to bring permanent change. One generation is enough to introduce change. One generation is enough to create a turning point in history. But social change, uh, radical National change, and that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the nation, the people of Israel, still somewhat scattered, though there are now more Jewish people living in Israel uh, than the rest of the world. So it's more than 50%, which is a, an amen, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We finally got to that place. I believe it'll be a lot more, and perhaps some of you will be with us in Israel. We would love that. Uh, but all of that to say that um, there's a lot more to do. There's a lot more to come. And it's really important not to settle in and to get too comfortable. It's important even though there's something that God himself has authored in the concept of a seven-day cycle. There is routine. Not all routine is bad. Some routine is God-given. But other routine becomes fossilizing. And it locks us into a place. And we do the same thing and the same thing, and the same thing, and we feel good, and we feel comfortable about it, especially coming to a service on Shabbat, and, and uh, we know the songs and the prayers, and it becomes very, uh, very much a part of us. There's something good about that, but there's something that can prevent the works of God. 
because Yeshua said, I make all things new. He said that. And what God has in front of us is much more, I believe, than what's already behind us. So if we say, hey, you know, uh, we're pretty cool, we're doing a good job, you know, uh, this Yadut Meshichit, this Messianic Judaism, we're really, you know, kind of coming into our own, you know. We have X number of congregations and organizations and we've printed books and... No, it's still only coming to the end of the first generation. I came to faith in 1972, 42 years ago. Uh, was introduced to a Jewish uh, identity, my Jewish heritage as a, as a believer together with Connie. Uh, in like mid-70s, 74, 75, we met Eliezer. And, um, and, and this is, you know, I mean, to me, that's mind-boggling. That's kind of sobering because I don't think of us as being, you know, such tremendous, what have we accomplished? We kind of broke through some things. We've stumbled into, you know, that which we didn't know in order to hand it off, in order to, to hand off the... Uh, the baton in a relay race. And those of you who are of the next generation, please, please be encouraged, be activated, be receptive, because in order to to pass on uh, the baton in a relay race, the the next runner has to reach back and, and pick it up, right? So there's a kind of a mutual thing that happens. Let's turn to uh, the book of Acts because... The book of Acts is really our, our manual. It's our operational manual. It's our textbook. And uh, more than that, it's also a, a family album so that what we, so we can see uh, how God wants us to look. This is the outworking of the disciple-making of Yeshua HaMashiach himself and how he intended for the Talmidim to live. And now we come into chapter 13. We're going to move past those early chapters. And uh, the guys are, are at a turning point here. All right. And a lot of you are at a turning point. I'm not saying that to try to be phonally prophetic. I just, I believe it. I have enough uh, faith and confidence in God at this point that if he's given me this to talk about, both from what I read in, in your update, but also from what I know of the times in which we live. And uh, this is why I called the, the, the message Crossroads, uh, at the crossroads as spiritual pioneers. So, Abba, we need to understand what happens at the crossroads. We are looking to you to clarify for us and pinpoint for us, because there are a lot of priorities in life. There are a lot of different things we can give our attention to, um, but really only a few things effectively. So Abba Azorlanu, help us, Lord, uh, to, to focus in, to hone in, uh, because we want, we want you to use us. Would you just pray that with me, just in your own, uh, in your own words, and maybe even uh, open a hand or lift a hand to God, uh, because he wants to talk to you. Um, but I think that there's a part that we play where we invite him. We say, please talk to me. Go ahead, tell him that. Please talk to me, Lord. Talk to me. I'm available. Hineni, here I am. I'm yours. I, I, I want to do your will. That's, that's my desire. 
make my life count in this generation. B'Shem Yeshua. So as we open chapter 13, it says, Now in the Kehilah, in the congregation that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Okay, Antioch is no longer Jerusalem, is it? It's outside of the borders of Israel uh, in what's called uh, Asia Minor today, uh, portions of Turkey, and uh, as you go up, up the coast, Syria, Lebanon, Syria. So um, there were certain prophets and teachers, uh, Barnabas, Shimon, says Simeon in the English, who was called Niger, he was obviously a, a dark man from Africa, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Shaul, Saul. So Antioch itself was quite a cosmopolitan city. It was, um, it was a crossroads city. It was a place where there was a lot of commerce, there was a lot of idolatry, uh, there was a lot of flesh, uh, there was a prosperity. And uh, in that part of the world, um, I read that it was, it was the third or fourth largest city in its, during its time. So you're talking about a major center. And uh, okay, perhaps Antioch was a greater center uh, in its heyday than Denver. But Denver is also a center. It's certainly a center in this part of the world. And uh, there are a lot of institutions. There are a lot of, there's a lot of influence uh, that this city has, uh, particularly regionally, although... Um, also, I think nationally, as the, as the country uh, looks out, you know, both from the east and from the far west. These people that are named here, without going into each one of their backgrounds, they all come from a different background. They're all from a different nationality. They're from a different place. Uh, they're from different customs, and yet Yeshua has brought them together. Does that sound familiar? Does that somewhat describe Yeshua Zion? Does it describe a facet of the believing uh, population of Denver? I think very much Yeshua Zion. So this is what began to capture me, uh, that there's a parallel here. It's a turning point in the book of Acts because they're beginning to reach outward. Already in chapter 10 was the whole business of uh, Peter, Kepha, in the home of Cornelius and Caesarea and and God showing Peter and showing the apostles that the gospel was not to be limited to the Jewish people, uh, but that it would, it would go out to all the nations. And so now it's going, that's going to be actualized. That's going to happen. But the Jewish, Messianic Jewish teachers and prophets are together in this, uh, what becomes a prayer meeting. It says, as they ministered to the Lord, verse 2, and fasted, Ruach HaKodesh said, now separate to me Barnabas and Shaul for the work to which I've called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Here I want to make the first point, and there are only three. It won't be hard to keep track of. The first thing that I see here is that they received vision from God. When you are at a crossroads, you need to remember what is your vision. Our sister talked about that. I like that. In the announcement, there needs to be a refreshing. There needs to be sometimes a redefinition. There needs to be a remembering and then of a, of a refining and retooling. What, what does God want us to be doing? What are we about? What's the purpose of Yeshua Tzion? What's the purpose of my personal life? Because within any 
congregational setting, with any organizational setting, you also have an individual calling and an individual destiny that God wants to show you. So when I say vision, I'm speaking both corporately and individually. I like this that it says they ministered to the Lord and fasted. What do you think that means? How do you minister to the Lord? Have we done any of that today? I think when we were worshiping, people were caught up just in a tenderness with God. I believe that as we're, as we're praying, as we're listening to the Scriptures, basically, to me, it says focusing on Him. Would you agree with me that most of our focus is lateral? Most of our focus is with each other. Most of our focus also, probably not quite correctly, is within on ourselves, thinking about how I feel, how I look, what tastes good, where do I need to go next, you know, how much gas is in the gas tank. I mean, some of this stuff is, you know, it's necessary and practical. You can't escape it. But I believe that we find God's will and purpose and architecture for our lives not by looking on the inside. Would you agree with me? I need an amen. Thank you. If I put my, my, my hand up to my ear like that, that's a cue. That means I need an amen. Thank you. They ministered to the Lord. I love in the book of Joel what says, let the priests who minister to the Lord between the porch and the altar say, spare your people, O Lord. That's a, that's a, a priestly prayer that I believe God's given to all of us. This concept of ministering to the Lord, shutting other things out, you know, locking in with Him. Sometimes individually, you guys have mountains. You could go for a walk, even in the foothills. You don't have to get all the way up where the snow is. And just, uh, you know, I've seen some beautiful parks. There's a, a lovely footpath not far from where Haim and Joy live. And just begin to walk and just, you know, God, I'm not sure. What, what are you doing right now? What do you want from me? <laughs> you could even say, what do you want already? <laughs> You're not laughing. I hope you talk to God like that occasionally. It's all right. I don't understand what's happening. You've done a lot of good stuff. Thank you so much. But at the moment, I'm puzzled. I'm not sure. Where is this going? Where do you want me? I, I yield myself to you again. I haven't, I haven't been focusing on you. I haven't really been surrendering. I surrender to you again. Thank you, Yeshua, that you gave all for me. My only response is to give all for you. You know, that's some of what, to me, feels like ministering to the Lord. So, they're focused on God. And lo and behold, the Spirit speaks. So, the vision that they received was not one they cooked up themselves. They didn't all, you know, call a board meeting and sit around a, you know, a, a board of directors table and, you know, and have the PowerPoints and, okay, well, what do you think we should do? Well, uh, okay, well, we need a suburban uh, development over here. Let's, uh, let's hire Steiner and, you know, he'll help us build these houses and, you know, we need a racetrack. Let's get Cooperman over in here and, you know, we need the uh, people to have good marriages, so we'll call the Russells. All of those things... But no, it came from above. It came from outside. That's really special because I don't need to be following my own vision. I can't 
in my wildest imagination come up with what God came up with. Tents of mercy? What was that about? (laughs) I'm down with my nose on the carpet in Gaithersburg, Maryland one day, and he shows me an oasis, and I have no idea what it means. And then he starts talking about tents of mercy and the mercy of God and the people coming back to Israel. And, you know, now here we are 25 years later and there are warehouses and congregations and, you know, national youth ministries and good knows what else. It's just, it's crazy because it wasn't mine and it still isn't mine. And he wants to do the same in your life. So they sought God. I really am encouraging you to seek God at turning points in our life, it's so important. And don't worry if you don't know. You know, sometimes we get anxious and we feel like, well, I don't know. You know, this person knows they want to be a doctor and this person knows they want to, you know, go to Africa and this person knows that they, they want to get a PhD in, you know, in, in First Temple history or whatever. I don't know. It's okay not to know. <clears throat> Usually a blank piece of paper or a blank slate is easier to create something on a blank canvas than one that's already got all kinds of scratchings and attempts, right? So say, God, here I am. I'm your piece of paper. I'm I'm your empty computer screen, you know. Please write your story. Write your story through me. Vision to me is something that goes beyond my lifetime. What is it that will last? Sometimes our our vision is so short. We're kind of myopic. We look at the next day, the next week, maximum maybe a year from now. But God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of generations. Chaim spoke about that. And I'm sure that it is a symptom of growing older, but in that sense, I like it because it gives you a longer view And you say, okay, well, this is what God has done, you know, in my 40 years or whatever. It's been 22 years in Israel. That's amazing. Um, But what else? What do you want to do through my sons and daughters? What do you want to do through my grandchildren? Okay. And this is why I, I really care about Chaim and Joy's grandchildren. Because the continuity, the... The, the development, the unfolding of our relationship has to do with those that are close to us, not just our own generation. So Roe told me, uh, immediately congratulated me on the uh, wedding of my daughter that happened this summer, who's our, our 21-year-old baby that was born in Israel, um, and whom he and Laurel knew when she was just a little gal, just, a, just very, I mean, it was... Wow, 95, right? We started Ohale, and you guys were there pretty soon afterwards. She was born. I mean, she couldn't have been more than three years old when you met her. Three years old. So what happens is that, that as we invest in one another, and I'm, that's my next point, so I must mean I'm supposed to go there. As we invest in one another, um, it becomes richer and there's more fruit. Let's go to verse 4. So being sent out by Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had Yohanan John as their assistant. So um, 
the, the vision here, the outworking of the vision was to go. It may be that for you. It may not be. But there's a sense of availability. And uh, I, I'm, I'm very inspired uh, by, by the lives of people in the Bible uh, who were quite ordinary. And uh, among them, I find this guy, Avraham, right? We're dealing with his grandson, Yaakov, in the uh, Parashat Shavua. And, uh, you know, he, he basically said, when God told him to sacrifice his, his son, here I am. Do through me. Command me. Bid me. Bid me. It's kind of like Isaiah also said, Hineni, here I am. Send me. Miriam, the Ima of Yeshua, said, Yehi li kidvarecha, be it unto me according to your word. When the angel announced to her that she would be the mom of the Messiah before knowing a man. That must have been tricky. And then the time of her being beherayon in, in pregnancy. How do you deal with the neighbors in a situation like that? But she accepted it. So this calls for then a commitment. And uh, let's go on to verse 6, uh, 6 through 13. Now when they had gone through the island to Paphos, which is on the island of Cyprus, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar Yeshua, Bar Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. I don't know why he included that. That's interesting. This man called for Barnava and Shaul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimas, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Shaul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, Oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now, indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now when Shaul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. L'chaim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice big bottle. I've never been handed such a nice big bottle of water. You see? This liberality of giving will come back to you, and that doesn't mean there's going to be a flood. So once that vision has been received, or even as you're seeking it, what is required to be pioneers is commitment, atmada, perseverance. You've got to keep going. You can't give up. There's a great song by... Uh, Misty Edwards, who's part of the House of Prayer in Kansas City, if you don't quit, you win. I love that statement. If you don't quit, you win. Part of winning is just not giving up. 
All right, good. You didn't forget. And part of being a pioneer is not giving up. Uh, little house on the prairie, you know, that kind of thing. You know, <laughs> yeah. You know, storms come, you know, the stuff they build is destroyed. When I was a pioneer, hippie, in the mountains of northern New Mexico, <clears throat> I didn't go through the Roe Steiner School of Carpentry. And uh, I used timbers that were not cured. It was green wood that I thought, oh, this is cool. You know, it doesn't have any leaves on it. It must be dry. It's great. Let's use it. I built an entire roof out of green timbers. And it, was, it, was a, it wasn't thatched. It was like a Navajo Hogan style where it's all, you know, it's all the poles. Like all you could see was wood when you looked up. Very artistic. Oh, so aesthetic. And for all of two days, I lay back on my bed and looked up at that beautiful woodwork, you know. Southern California, raised in the suburbs, boy that I was. But on the first night, it began making this creaking sound. And my dear perceptive, also non-carpentry trained wife, Connie, said, Honey, what's that, what's that cracking sound in the, in the roof? I said, it's nothing, dear. It's nothing. <laughs> Scrape on the knee, you know, no big deal. They're just settling into place, said I, with great authority. Next night, more cracking sounds. Same question, same answer. Third night, a horse is dying. We're trying to keep this creature alive. Don't know much about that either. We didn't know much about anything, actually, when we went out there. It's amazing we survived six years. I don't know how that happened. The, yes, I do. God, God preserved us. Rattlesnakes, the whole bit. I mean, it's crazy. This time we weren't inside, so we didn't hear the cracking. We were outside trying to keep the poor animal alive, which in the end we didn't succeed. But we were outside just long enough so that we didn't experience the total collapse of that roof without us being inside, with our baby David. We would have, it would have crushed us. It landed right on the bed. would have broken us in two. So the horse gave its life for us. I guess that's, you know, that's one conclusion. But the other conclusion is that, okay, so now your house is destroyed. What do you do? Well, one of the clever guys on the commune who had a lot more smarts than the rest of us said, we're going to get a, a, a wench and we're going to, we're going to, um, we're going to tr- create a tripod and wrap a chain around this roof. And we're just going to flat lift it up because it fell in one piece. It didn't break up. That's kind of amazing. And that's exactly what we did. And we had to put some, some uh, columns, you know, like that one, inside. And we lived in it the rest of the time and it didn't fall down anymore. Pioneers don't give up. That was a long way around to say that. But anyway, I just, it's fun to tell some of those stories. When we were in our early years, some of you remember that we were firebombed as a, as a community. You guys were with us then, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so what do you do then? 
You know, obviously, the message of the enemy is get out of here. You know, the the intent is intimidation. But we just felt like, you know, wow, what an honor to be, you know, to be counted worthy of this suffering, like they said in Acts. And also what Joseph said at the end of Genesis when the brothers thought that he was going to now execute them all. Uh, he said, what you meant for evil, God used for good. And that was exactly the point because these were our brothers and God did use it for good because 50 yards from there, we now have this amazing facility with warehouses for humanitarian aid and and end. And, uh, and it became a center for a congregational network. If you don't quit, you win. I want to look at the message that they also, they had to be uh, committed to God, to the vision, the message, and to each other. And I like it where it says here now, when Paul and his party... Now that's, you know, that doesn't mean that they, you know, they got six packs, you know, and they, and they went to the beach. You're not laughing. Um, <clears throat> wrong, wrong, wrong reference. Sorry, scratch that from the record. Anyway, uh, what it means is that these guys were functioning together. So you don't have to look at each other right now, but think about each other. Think about family. Think about congregation. Because it takes commitment to walk it out together, doesn't it? We do stuff to each other that hurts. Back to my brother. Great exhortation. We experience disappointment, failure, betrayal. I mean, there, there, there's so much in the realm of, of human relationship that can, that can really hurt and can uh, break relationships. But you know what? There are three awesome words, three of the most important words in any language that will repair relationships. I want to say chaval al-azman, and now I don't know how to, how to translate it. In, incredibly, I forgive you and mean it. I forgive you. We had a, an amazing experience of... of it was just one gesture of reconciliation. Somebody was praying about reconciliation earlier. Um, everybody knows the tension and the challenges that exist between Arab-speaking and Hebrew-speaking residents of Israel. And uh, not going into the details, but I was at a conference recently. The Lord moved upon my heart. There were Arab-Palestinian-believing uh, uh, leaders and Messianic-Jewish leaders and I just felt like something had to be expressed. And so I took uh, Jacob's example of, of getting, you know, he bowed down before Esau, chapter 33 of Genesis. Uh, coming up to it, if it's not, I don't think that was in this week's parsha. It would be next week. Um, just after he's had an amazing revelation of, uh, I believe, the Messiah pre-incarnation, in chapter 32, where he wrestles with the angel of the Lord. And interestingly, after that, Revelation, and after he's, uh, quote, impaired, unquote, which really is a, an addition, the fact that he's now having to limp basically means that he's, he's learning dependence on God. And then Jacob has the security to bow before the man who's vowed to kill him. Now, these brothers aren't trying to kill us, but there's, a, there's some pretty serious differences of how we view Israel and, and uh, the promises to the Jewish people in Scripture. And I, I just... I just felt that I needed to express repentance on the Jewish side in, in the ways that 
we have offended intentionally or unintentionally, usually unintentionally, our Arab-Palestinian brothers, brothers in the Messiah. And two of the leaders got up, this is what I'm getting to, after I did this gesture and said, we forgive you and we are more guilty of pride and arrogance than you are. It was dramatic. But, but the, the aspect of asking for and giving forgiveness is it's like, it's, it's the coin of the realm of relationships. Because even though I knew that I had not intended to offend these guys, there was an offense that existed. Anyway, I want to just look at the message a little bit from, uh, from these verses because the, the message is so much the message that we've been given and I don't have to spend a long time on this. Uh, it says that they read the law and the prophets, Torah and Nevi'im. I'm in verse 15. I'm not leaving Acts 13, by the way. The rulers of the synagogue sent, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. And then he comes down a little bit uh, farther. And, uh, and he talks about, about David. I want to come back to that. He says, From this man's seed, from David's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior. I jump to verse 23. And now look at 26. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Avraham, and those among you who fear God. Does that sound like part of the calling of Yeshua Zion? I mean, your very name says the salvation of Zion. Yeah? I think this is relevant. For those who dwell, oh, um, to you the word of this salvation, davar Yeshua, the word of Yeshua, the word of salvation uh, has been sent. For those who dwell in Yerushalayim and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Shabbat, have fulfilled them in condemning him, have fulfilled those scriptures in condemning him. They asked Pilate that he should be put to death, though there was no cause for death in him. And when they fulfilled all that was written, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. Hallelujah. And he, he was seen for many days by those who came from Galilee to Jerusalem. And we declare to you the glad tidings, Besorah, the good news, that promise which was made to the, to the fathers, that God has fulfilled this for us in their children in that he has raised up Yeshua. Verse 38. Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. Who are the people that know that their sins are forgiven? Is it our people who go to the Beit Knesset on Yom Kippur and who fast and who pray for hours and still at the end of the day they're, they're wishing one another Gemar Chatimah Tovah May, may you have a good signature for your life because there is not a knowledge of the forgiveness of sins. So we have a message. We have a reality. We have a, a love relationship to share with our people. And God does not want us to be ashamed of that. He doesn't. It's our time. This is our time. Whew. Sorry to use charismatic uh, vocabulary, but I feel wind on that. This is our time. Messianic Jewish pioneers, whether you're born Jewish or Gentile, this is our time. Amen. 
You were born into the kingdom for such a time as this. Don't settle in. You are pioneers. It is about commitment. We need to be committed to this, to this task, this mandate, this assignment, this, this, this calling that God has given us. It is unique in history. We are so chosen. I can't even, I can't estimate, I can't, I can't exaggerate, I can't amplify this enough right now. I just, I want to communicate to you. And you know what? I want you to think about some literature that was written by an Englishman many decades ago that's been popularized uh, by, uh, by Hollywood in some very uh, dramatic movies uh, called The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Think The Hobbit. Think Bilbo Baggins. What does he have to rescue the, the Middle Earth? How, what equipment does he have that he can possibly save the day? And then his, what was it, his, his nephew, Frodo? Oh, I so identify with Frodo, you know. He's freaking out. He's going, I can't handle this. This is too much, you know. He's, he's, he's encountering the forces of evil. Which, by the way, this is part of the commitment, is to stand fast in the earlier, uh, this earlier encounter of Paul with Elimas, the sorcerer. He's, face, he's coming face to face with the power of Hasatan. He's coming face to face with the darkness of hell. What would you say? Have you ever seen a time in history like this where people are being beheaded and it's on YouTube? Where, where terrorists uh, walk right into a synagogue in Jerusalem with meat cleavers and knives like butchers and begin butchering rabbis who are at prayer? I want to tell you that, yes, what Chaim said is right. We can find precedent back in history. And if we would see the destruction of Jerusalem, we would be so, so shocked, so sobered uh, by the bloodshed. But for our frame of reference... I believe that there is something in the nature of a wake-up call. I believe that God wants to use the awfulness of what is happening to call us up. He's pulling us up. I, I try to limit myself in saying this because it's also tacky and cliche and everybody does it, you know, who's preaching in, in modern times in loose situations. But would you please declare, He's calling me up. Come on, out loud. He's calling me up. I feel it. I don't know if you feel it, but I want to generate it. He's calling you up. Where you have been is probably quite good, but where he's taking you to is much better. He wants to take us on. He's not finished. There's more change, more transformation, more being conformed to the image of Messiah, seeing the horizon, seeing what God wants to do, not being limited by yourself. He's dropped into me a vision for a national center for conferences and and camps for kids in Israel that will be owned by Messianic Jews. That is so far beyond me, sometimes I don't want to think about it. But I I believe that it will serve the entire community of Jewish and Arab believers in Israel, as nothing so far has. I believe that there's a need for something that actually meets people's needs to express the unity that we have in our heart toward one another. And the body of Messiah, the congregations in Israel, need this. We're young. It's an ancient community that's only just been reborn. And the movement in Israel is newer than the movement here. I talked about the early to mid-70s. It's maybe the mid-80s uh, 
you know, add another decade and you've got some of the, the Israeli history. The Bible is a book of flawed people given epic roles facing ridiculous odds. I want to say that again because I, I like to hear it. The Bible is a book filled with flawed people given an epic role against ridiculous odds. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's us, beloved. Sometimes we don't like it. It's not comfortable. It's not pleasant. It's not convenient. It's stretching. New, the old illustration of, of a woman whose body has to make room for a child. The miracle of birth only happens through stretching. Do you feel stretched? Probably God is birthing something through you. This congregation is being stretched. Achi, it's because he's birthing something, something new, something greater, something beautiful. All right, I got to move on. One verse will finish us. We come back to, to verse 22. This is Shaul's message in the synagogue. And he's going along reviewing the history. He says that Israel asked for a king. Verse 21, God gave them Shaul. And uh, when he had removed him, verse 22, removed Shaul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David ben Yishai, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. A man according to my heart. I mentioned Abraham. I mentioned Miriam. Shaul said, I would be willing, Romans chapter 9, to be accursed, to be rejected, to be cut off from the, from the Messiah if it would mean the salvation of my people. I can't claim that level of surrender, of devotion. I'm not really willing to be cut off. Spent too long already being cut off, and he joined me. But when God says, I found a man who is willing to do according to all of my will, that's what it means to be somebody after God's heart. And I want you just in the seconds we have left just to, just to consider is my life yielded to God in totality? Have I said, Lord, here's an area. I don't want you to mess with it. It's nice. I like it. Don't change it. Are there facets of your history or your personality? You know, this person really raked me over the coals. I, I don't need to forgive them. Are we holding, holding back, holding out on God in different areas? What his heart is, is his whole will. And these people, Abraham, Miriam, Shaul, and others, gave everything they had to do what? What was their goal? Tavo malchutcha ba'aretz kumosheh b'shamayim. 
your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. They went all out and held nothing back in order to establish the kingdom rule of God on the face of the earth. And that has to start with us. How can I preach a message or how can I be a messenger of a kingdom and I'm not yielded to the king? I'm not manifesting his kingdom. I know we're all in process. That's, that's obvious, you know. <laughs> Got so much farther to go, I can't even estimate where the, where, the, where the finish line is. Probably there isn't a finish line, right, Larry? We're just going to keep on going, you know. He'll keep improving us. We are the generation that has seen Israel reborn physically, but it's only beginning to be reborn spiritually. There is a lot more that God intends to do. We're only two-tenths of one percent Jewish believers in the nation of Israel. And Yeshua is not coming back until he hears Baruch Haba B'Shem Adonai. I don't know what that percentage is. Maybe my dear learned sister can help me with that. Is it 144,000? I don't know. But whatever it is, it's going to be, it's got to be louder than it is today. What is God's heart? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's God's heart. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Yeshua said these were the most important commandments. This is the heart of God. In the book of Micha, we read, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly and love mercy and walk humbly before your God. I want to ask you now, Asma, so what? Okay. We had fun, good message, maybe a few insights. But if you're at a crossroads, you need more than a few insights. You need more than some fun on a Shabbat. I want to come back to these points, and I want to give them as a suggested response in the days to come. And if you want to jot them down, you can. Clarify vision. Understand why you're doing what you're doing. The why. Clarify God's vision for your life, for your family. Do you know that families need vision? You know? In an extreme case, a family could even write a vision statement, not to be overly corny, but it wouldn't hurt in some cases. We need to know what we're about. What, what's our unique place as a family? And it's not too late. Grandmas and grandpas, you can do it too. Clarify vision. The second thing is to renew and refire your commitment. That's the how. We're going to seek God in just a moment. Not for a long time, but just seek Him on that. That the fire inside of me, the fire that that is the the... That, that, that causes the engine. You know, I'm getting a picture of an old-time, you know, locomotive on the, on the tracks. Colorado is known for narrow-gauge uh, railroad and, and going through the mountains. 
but most of those were, they were coal-fired, weren't they? They had to stoke this, this oven that you see in movies. Our, our fires need to be stoked, not to quit, to keep going, to refire our commitment, and then finally, to know God's heart and to live it. I do want to read one other scripture from a different place, Jeremiah 29. 12 and 13, 14. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. I read it fast, but we need to take it in. Get alone with God. He will listen to you. That is an amazing thing. 13, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Gosh, I love this. God wants our heart more than anything for our heart to be bound up with his heart, for his heart to be the engine inside of us that, that moves us and, and takes us where he wants us to go, touching his heart to touch other hearts. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. Clarify vision, refire commitment, and seek God's heart. Avinu Shabbat Let's stand together. Avinu, thank you for your people, Lord. So, so earnest, so receptive, so desiring uh, all that you have. Lord, we ask you to speak to us in the days to come so that your vision for us would be spoken into us by the Spirit. Help us to wait upon you to receive that. Ask at the same time, Adonai, that you would strengthen our commitment to you, to your vision, to our family, to our congregation, to our neighborhood, to your purposes. Elohim, we have none other than you. All that we pursue outside of you is temporary. Our, our homes, our automobiles, the very clothes on our back, none of it will endure. It will all burn up. It will all be gone. And all that will be left, Lord, is that which has come from you and goes to you, the life of the Spirit, Friendship, covenant, healing, salvation. God, we want to impact our generation. We want to pass the baton. We want to see Israel saved. We want to see Denver saved. We want to see people's lives changed one at a time. And Lord, every one of us is chosen by you, equipped by you. Equip us, Lord. And God, we ask for your heart. Show us who you are. Show us your heart. We want to know you. If the apostle could pray in Philippians, oh, that I might know him. How much more can we pray it? Abba, thank you. Lord, help, help us all to hold on to what you're sharing with us. And Lord, take us through this time of crossroads and change. Help us to be the pioneers that you've called us to be. And all God's people said, Amen. I love you.
I'm going to ask that we do a couple of things. Uh, we do want to take a love offering for Eitan in Tents of Mercy. And I know we've been going for a while, and but we want to take a few minutes um, to conclude the service with worship. Um, because if the Lord has been speaking to you, then Scripture says that today is the day of salvation. In other words, we respond to God as he touches us, as he zaps us, right? We don't want to walk away being totally changed. It's like looking in the mirror and then saying, oops. So um, let's pray again. There's no such thing as too much prayer. Thank you, Lord, for raising Eitan and Connie, those who work with them. We bless you, Lord, for the tremendous impact, kingdom growth that you've brought about in them and through them. We pray, Lord, that what we bring, Lord God, would come from a generous heart and would be used in the expansion of your kingdom, Lord. We live for that. In the name of Yeshua, amen.